With the NowJobs app, you're only three clicks away from a new student worker. Let us introduce you to the NowJobs app. That's extra help in just a few clicks. No fuss, no administration. Download it now. Available in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and soon in Germany. NowJobs. Get the job done. Ka-ching! Your kids, lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. A new survey says 75% of HR workers believe human beings won't have to be involved in the recruitment process at all in the very near future, thanks to AI. Enjoy this shit while it lasts, people. You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Wally Cheeseman. I'm Chad. Happy socks, so wash. And I'm leaving totally forgot about the middle name, Lufanyuenhausen. <laughs> On this episode... Handshake has its eye on Europe. Hey Jobs gives us a glimpse into the German labor market and Oreo makers want to double stuff their employers. Let's do this. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. European. Talent. Intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence. With innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries, it is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. I want to hear about Levin's uh, skiing trip. Oh, yeah. Levin, skiing, go. Oh, I went skiing, went skiing again after again? last last skiing trip. Jesus. Last, last time it was it was work, you know. I was oh, invited yeah. by by Redmore. Thanks, Redmore. So uh, this time it was just fun, and we had fun. There was sun, there was snow, there were cold drinks, and there was a Russian family, and they tried to uh, defend Putin's uh, strategy, and they claimed the whole war was necessary for Russians' uh, safety. They were actively talking about Russia. Propaganda is a hell of a drug, man. I'm sure they were asked about it. They didn't start itself, but uh, they were asked at the bar. They claimed so it was uh, Russia's right to do something like that. And after that, the bartender refused to serve him. And uh, everyone <laughs> started to play the Bayraktar song on their iPhones whenever the guy entered the room or anything. So I don't think it was fun to be rich and Russian 
in Obdurs last week. So when, when Chad and I were kids, every ad in a European uh, ski lift had like the Swedish bikini team there. Was the Swedish bikini yes. team there or was that just American advertising? I've never ever seen the Swedish bikini team in a, in a ski resort. Damn. That's a I shame. I missed them. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, you're killing my dreams. Killing my <laughs> dreams. <laughs> All right, let's get to our mystery guest, shall we? Mystery guest. Let's do he's, this. He's Neil Dunwoody. He's from Ireland. He's the chief commercial officer and co-founder at Sprite. No legal issues there, I'm sure. Uh, as well as the head of TechLink Ukraine, which we'll talk about. He has a certificate from LinkedIn on metaverse and NFT marketing. Oh, stop! That's so exciting for me. He stop also it. says he also says my blue spot is in the mail. We'll see about that. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Well, how are you guys? Not about LinkedIn NFT uh, marketing. I was bored sitting on the toilet, so it was just something to do for 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I don't know where I go from there, but give our listeners uh, a little Twitter bio about you. Yeah, so uh, Neil and Woody, 20 years plus in recruitment, um, got bored of recruitment in the middle of the pandemic, so decided I was going to set up a digital health company. Um, So that's a startup, and we work with the NHS and some American healthcare providers and then decided to set up TechLink Ukraine, which we're trying to help displaced Ukrainians find opportunities. And we're also trying to help people who are still in Ukraine find projects to work on as as the lads that are related to. I'm a massive whiskey fan. I actually part own a distillery in Ireland. What? Um, Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Jeez, man, how come we're not... Yeah, how come we're not? How come we're not in Ireland, Ireland for this? What's going on? Well, I know Neil's got this going on, and the pandemic kind of squashed the whole like I'm going to come to Ireland or we're going to come to Ireland and hang out. And he also uh, allegedly mailed me some Blue Spot Irish whiskey, which is, has has not shown up in two years. So somebody at the U, <laughs> U, U, U.S. Postal Service got some pretty good whiskey. But yeah, good we, we, we I, I'm open. The world's open, okay. man. Okay. Uh, the, air, okay. the the airlines don't require masks anymore, apparently. So I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to party. You can come over and do your podcast from our distillery, and we we teach you how to make a bottle of gin. You can bring it home with you. We do a whiskey experience. Teach you how to make cocktails. Get you drunk. God. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the type of experience we're looking for. But beyond that, tell us a little bit more about TechLink Ukraine. This seems to be pretty. This seems to be cool. How how did you come up with this? Uh, and what is it? Yeah. So basically, it started with a, a girl walking into, I work in a co-working space here mm-hmm. in Monon. And she walked in. She went to a reception. She said, look, she was looking for a job. She just came from Ukraine. And she just arrived in Ireland three days. And she walked all the way from Kiev to the Polish border and then got a train to Krakow. And her friend who was living in Monon, Brian from, flew to Krakow, brought her back. So when I asked her what she what what she was willing to do, she said pretty much she'd do anything. I said, "What were your what was your background back in Ukraine?" She was a graphic designer um, and qualified lawyer. So within twenty four hours, I had found her a job here in Ireland, um, or she could work remotely from Monon for an employer in Dublin. And then I reached out to a few techie guys and CTOs, CIOs that I know across Europe and the UK. Um, so myself, a guy called Martin Carpenter, used to work with me in United Health in Optum, um, Adrian Wakefield and a couple of other guys. We came together and we said, look, they're technologists. They know how to build all the tech in regards to trying to help these people in Ukraine. I'm a recruiter. So 
and had had a lot of connections, could ring around, get a lot of companies involved to see what they hire them. And I pretty much started from there. And we built the website. We partnered with a guy who, a guy called Iman Videa from a company called TalentPool.io, um, and he built out EmployUkraine.org, and um, which pretty much means that any company can advertise all the roles for free. They can video interview across the platform, and um, Ukrainians can apply and apply for any role. Anybody can search the, their database of about uh, fifteen thousand currently Ukrainian candidates, match them up against the roles. And if they want to remotely hire them, they can legally contract and payroll them via the system. Yeah, good for you, man. That's awesome. Are these mostly remote jobs or people requiring relocation? Are they mostly sort of knowledge-based jobs? Give us sort of a, a sense of the flavor of what you're seeing. So we initially started with tech because that was kind of the area. Like I spent 20 years in tech recruitment, so that was the kind of area we started in. Um, and then we slowly started to realize that the majority of the people that were displaced weren't from tech backgrounds and predominantly about 80% of those were female. So we had to open it to other areas and are potentially opening to tech companies that may be hiring marketing, HR, accounting, whatever. The roles are a mix of in-country. In so if they come to Ireland or the UK, they'll be permanently hired there. Or if they're, say, an Irish, a UK, French, German company, they may hire them remotely in the likes of Slovakia, Poland, Romania, if they, if they, wherever, basically, they want to stay in the 27 member states within the EU and the UK. But we've also had companies out of the US reach out. We've had companies as far afield as Vietnam, tech company in Vietnam. We've had companies in Australia and New Zealand. So pretty much anywhere that's willing um, to open up their doors to, to, to these people and help them um, my biggest ask is that if you're looking to hire these people, they don't have anything. So mm-hmm. you have to be willing to potentially pay for rent, pay for flights, potentially give them um, a sign-on bonus up front yeah. to help them settle. And, and how I would put it is, look, potentially if you're using a recruitment agency, you're saving that fee. So take part of that fee and give it to them. And that's, that's the way we're really pitching it. That's awesome. And our company's open to that for the most part? Yeah, like yeah, like we, like I was shocked. We have over three thousand companies have already signed up. Awesome, that's awesome, man. So it's insane. So for our listeners, again, what is how can you find how can they find out more? How can they sign up, get some jobs on that site? Where do they go again? So if you sign up, so for all the listeners out there, if you want to sign up to www.techlinkukraine.org, and um, it's completely free. You sign up, you can post as many jobs as you like. If you're a large organization, you potentially have a lot of roles. Um, you can, we work with different um, ATS providers. So there's an RSS feed, so you can basically feed them directly from your ATS directly onto the job board, and it, you're good to go. That's outstanding. There are a lot, there are a lot of these. So, um, I mean, hopefully the, uh, the jobs and opportunities are getting to the people that need it. And uh, I, for one, I speak for everyone on the podcast and everyone out there, thanks for the work that you're doing on this. It's, uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Thank you. TechLinkUkraine.org. Go there. Awesome. Excellent. Who's, who's ready for some shout outs? Give it to me. Let's do it. Um, so I'd like to give a shout out to IT Ukraine. Um, they're the biggest IT association in Ukraine. A guy called Konstantin Valnyev. Um, there's about 100,000 members there. And the best thing about these guys, they're still trying to work in a war zone. And if anybody's a recruiter, I'd like to see somebody try and recruit in a war zone. So yeah. oh, shit. good luck to those guys and big shout out. Wow. For sure. For sure. And there and yeah. starts our first shout out, Chad. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hit the second one and we're going to Go shout out 
to out-of-office email. So I go figure, they're all over the place. I saw a meme last week demonstrating the difference between European out-of-office emails versus American versions. And take a listen, you're, you're, you're gonna love you're gonna love this. And, and I want the Europeans to, to kind of, you know, tell me if they think this is right. So first, the European version of an out-of-office email, quote, I'm away camping for the summer. Please email me back in September. End quote. I like that. Yeah, yeah I like that's that. nice. That's, I like that. Sounds reasonable. It sounds reasonable. Yeah. So oh. the American version, quote, I have left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. End quote. That's, that's not good. Uh, Is just about in line with what we're used to here in the U.S. The two Americans can say that's totally on par with America's yes. out of mess. Yeah, that's totally. So the Europeans, is that right on? I think I, I was away last week. I was skiing and I tried to remember what my out of office was, but I guess it was sort of like that. It was only for one week, but I said something like, uh, you could mail me, but I won't read it. So you might as well not something like that. So, uh, but only for one week, not for the whole summer, of course. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, awesome. That'll get you fired in America. That'll get uh, you fired. No, you, better, you better answer those emails within 24 hours or else. The, the Irish version is slightly different. It's generally, if you can't reach me, please get my wife. <laughs> I can make you rich. Oh, that's awesome. My shout out goes to Jacques Paul. You don't know who Jacques Paul is. He's a 20 something from London. And if you're an avid TikToker, you may already know Jacques. But if not, he accidentally attached a copy of his sexually transmitted disease test results to his job application rather than a cover letter. Yikes. That, my friends, that's transparency is what that is. Yeah. How could such a thing happen? Well, multitasking, of course. He told the New York Post, quote, I was applying for this job while listening to music, checking the news. I was looking at COVID rates and doing something else on the side, end quote. The bad news, he failed to land his dream job. The good news, his tests were negative. He landed another job and he found TikTok gold detailing the story and gaining tens of thousands of followers in the process. <laughs> do you believe in happy endings? Yes, you oh, do. Yes. Shout out to Jacques Paul of London. Leaving. Shout out. Well, my shout out goes to, of course, to Elon Musk for <laughs> of course. keeping us entertained last week with his bidding on Twitter. So for those who went skiing like I did and didn't follow the news, just a, a quick update. You know, a few weeks ago, Elon bought about 10% of Twitter and then he announced he was going to buy the whole company with a 50% bonus. So a typical example of pump and dump. And then Twitter announced um, they wouldn't let them buy the whole company. So he gave up on the plan, but his 10% certainly was worth like a lot more. So I think once again, the guy has proven to be brilliant and they'll probably sue us us for uh, manipulating. <laughs> yes. But so the uh, question is, how big of a check is uh, House of HR writing to own a part of Twitter and go in with Elon? Or are you the only Elon fan? I think uh, investing in House of HR is much more sustainable than <laughs> investing in Twitter. So we're, we're just going to buy our own shares. That's a good call. That's a very good call. Can I give you my conspiracy theory on this? No, no, no probably not. Okay so, okay, so everyone's talking about he can't afford it. Why would he do it? It's a mess of a company. Tesla's so much more important. So my little conspiracy theory around this is he wants to buy Twitter. He wants to let Trump back on. He wants to get favorability with the Republicans. He wants Fox News to talk about how great he is about letting free speech reign again. 
Uh, he's hoping that Trump gets reelected. And if Trump gets reelected, you're going to see deregulation on all the things that Elon is doing. You're going to see uh, government contracts come to things like his boring company. You're going to see EV uh, car credits come to him. He's got a lot of money to make if he can get a hold of Twitter and get Trump back on. That's my conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Who else is with me? No. I think he just wants attention. That That's it. In any way that he can find attention, any meg- megalomaniac out there, much like Trump, I mean, he's just looking for attention. I don't think this is a long-term strategy. Well, I, I think the fact that he admitted to couch surfing on his friends' couches instead of maybe staying in a, in a five-star hotel or <laughs> potentially buying houses in San Francisco, I, I generally just feel that the guy is an attention seeker more yeah. so than anything else. So, look, he'd probably he'd get bored. I mean, he's like a child, so he'd probably, he'd probably turn his attention to TikTok next. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of hogging and wanting attention, Chad and I are back on the road soon. Yes. We're going to be in Levin's backyard of Ostend, Belgium on May 6th. Levin, tell the listeners, I can't imagine no one knows, but if they don't, what's going on May 6th? We're getting close, right? May 6th. You're making yes. me nervous. Yeah. Our next show will be live, I think, if my math is right. Yeah. Already? Is it? Yes. Oh, uh, could be. Could we'll, be. we'll be in Belgium when we do it. We'll probably just be doing it at a bar. We're just try to be on a us. boat. We're going to try to be on a yacht. Good call. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, tell them about the, the Congress, Levin. Well, you'll probably be doing it from Casino Cursal, where the whole event will be. So it's the Irrecruitment Congress. We've been talking about it for almost a year right now, I guess. Uh, It's uh, by far the biggest and the best Congress on digital recruitment in Belgium. We have tons of speakers, uh, many people who have been in the show. Uh, We are focusing on esports. We are focusing on uh, virtual recruitment, uh, all kinds of digital stuff. But uh, if you want to be there, Look at irrecruitmentcongress.com on Google and you'll find it. You can still buy some tickets. And uh, if there was still a, a COVID thing, we would have been sold out by now because we reserved 400 places in a room where you can set 2,000 people. But now we don't need the space anymore, so we can fill every seat so everyone is welcome. We have about 400 people participating already, so it's a big success to Belgian standards, of course. And Neil has agreed to supply the liquor for the event, which is great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be able to meet Chad and Joel, who will be giving live uh, comments on everything happening. There you go. Meet Chad and Cheese. And you can also find out more, I think, at chadcheese.com, where you can see all of our other travels within Europe over the next few months. You're only an hour and 35 minutes from Belgium to Dublin, so. Ah, you're also welcome. Is there a bridge? Can I walk there? Is there like, can I get a bike or a... Uh, <laughs> You're not walking that far. Individual submarine. Is there a lime scooter he can take? That's what (laughs) what he's asking. Is there there a lime scooter? (laughs) That's nice. That's Topics. All right, guys. Let's talk a little bit of news. Let's talk about Handshake. The platform for recruiting college students announced last week that it acquired Talent Space, a European platform are managing career fairs, both online and in person. As Handshake's first ever acquisition, Handshake says Talent Space will strengthen its suite of virtual event offerings and accelerate their entry beyond the UK office and into continental Europe. What? Talent Space was founded in 2017 and will continue operating from its offices in Berlin, Germany. 
Quick reminder for our listeners, San Francisco-based Handshake recently landed $200 million in funding and is valued at $3.5 billion. That's right. All right, guys. Is Europe going to embrace Handshake's entrance into Europe or just say, talk to the hand? Do people still say talk to the hand? <laughs> I never said talk to the hand. Virtual and uh, in, in real life career events in Europe. What's the story? I've been looking into this until I get it right. They are approaching a revenue of 100 million. I feel and they said it somewhere 100 yeah. million. They didn't state exactly how much it was, but approaching 100 million. And they are valued over 3 billion. Yes. Yep. Three and a half. <laughs> okay. If I follow this course, this means House of HR, which has a revenue of 2.2 billion on my company or our company, 2.2 billion, we should be valued like 60, 60 billion or something. <laughs> this is 60 billion. And I'm sure we are worth it, but uh, I don't know about them. 3 billion with a revenue of approaching 100. Okay. Nicely done. So House of HR has a lot of companies. Do they have any that are that are focused on events, whether virtual or in real life? Have you looked at companies that are doing this and have, have looked the other way? Like how big of an opportunity is it in, in Europe? It's definitely starting to grow. And I mean, when I read the article, I saw Handshake and I thought this is, isn't the best name to uh, to use during COVID crisis because if there's one thing people want to avoid, it's a handshake. But uh, I, understand, I understand. Fist bump. Fist bump was taken. But um, it's, it's definitely a growing business and virtual events are cool and, and they're here to stay. I also think it's pretty easy to copy. So that might be a big problem for the investors, but it's a good business, definitely. But still, it's, it's like so overvalued. But um, you, you asked about House of HR. We have, just to give you an example, we have now jobs. Um, they're also approaching 100 million euros by themselves. Mm. And they're a platform also reaching out to students like uh, Handshake is doing. How are they, how are they doing it? Uh, I mean, I, I can speak for the Americans. You know, there's, there's career center at every college. Most colleges have some sort of a career event. Um, they have staff that helps allegedly students get jobs. So what is the business model similar there or is it a little bit different? Well, in my opinion, it's easy to reach out to students because they're all looking for a job the moment they graduate. So there are events and you can uh, you can enter those events. You can sponsor those events as a company. You can organize your own events to, to reach out to students. And if you're a big company, students are willing to participate. Most universities in, in Europe are organizing their own job events and they tried doing it virtually and it never has been a big success. I've participated at some of them and the problem is it's very distant. I mean, people don't reach out to each other. There are possibilities you can chat, but you don't do it. I mean, it's, it's so it's not natural. So I think most companies will try to make it real life again as soon as possible, but some part of virtual will hang on and will stay there and start to stay, I'm sure. But uh, companies focusing on strict virtual, I'm not sure. Yeah, I suppose like even before the mention of Handshake, there was actually a company that I remember 2015, 2016 called Shake, right? Who were an Irish-German co-founded company trying to do pretty much the same thing. Um, but the, the issue is and if you're a large company, you're going to attract people anyway. 
But when it comes to virtual events, it's so hard to organize. You're talking to one person, and I've done the whole thing where you do the speed dating kind of virtual event. You last for five minutes. By the time you actually get into a decent conversation, the person's cut off. And so you're then you're trying to track down that person. I think it's been done by multiple other companies a few different times or different iterations. Like in Ireland, we have Grad Iron, which is a large in-person event. And we have the Talent Summit and a number of other events like that. Um, and they tried to do them virtually during COVID. And you'd see at the start, loads of people would sign up. But within 20, 30 minutes, when they realized they're having to listen to talks and different things like that, they all just started dropping off. It's hard to try and engage people. I just haven't seen a great iteration yet, unless somebody's going to bring it into the metaverse, where you could potentially meet people in VR space, maybe. Oh, but. shit. Mm-hmm. He said metaverse. Have you had any experience, Neil, with automated solutions where you're not actually in real life talking to people, but maybe they're chatting? Um, we tried to build it in United Health. Huh? Um, we tried to build three bots. We were pretty unsuccessful and cost a lot of money, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, where we might have had 100 jobs in United Health, and you might have had 2,000 applications, and you're spending weeks just watching videos. That to me is, it's not efficient. It doesn't make sense, right? No. I mean, you, you, and, and Joel talked about it, uh, I think in the intro, I mean, we're looking at systems becoming more automated. That's not automated. That's that, that's more time intensive. I mean, first and foremost, I, I predicted Handshake would be a dead unicorn because their product offering and total addressable market doesn't come close to their value, their, their valuation, which like Levin was saying, right? Seven rounds of funding, 434 million USD, 402 euros, million euros, uh, Series F, in January uh, 2022, it's about time they started acquiring companies. I think talent space gives them a, a foot into Europe where they tried coming into Europe or they've tried, let's say, back in 2022. To me, it, it feels like advancement would be more on the chatbot side of the house, which is more automated in some cases and small, more process flow and RPA. This to me just seems so heavy on on human interaction, which shit, we don't have enough fucking recruiters right now. <laughs> you know, Chad, you mentioned uh, sort of the money and the, the need to acquire. And uh, we talked about Checker on our weekly show last week, who has surprisingly a similar valuation as does uh, Handshake. However, whereas Checker seems very focused on its acquisition uh, strategy and growing into new markets, Handshake seems to be a little bit all over the place. Uh, their last round, they talked about taking on LinkedIn. Yeah, how's that going so far? Uh, so now it's it's sort of like, where can we grow? Where can we get a foothold? Obviously, Europe is a is a very natural progression for companies. But I think the the point of career fairs are kind of a crappy business. Nobody wants to be in a space with human beings much anymore. Uh, the name is kind of ironic. That was great for Leland to kind of point that out. Uh, <laughs> and the virtual part of it hasn't gotten quite figured out yet. And somebody that actually does automation right, uh, like a conversational AI company, is probably going to win in that space and not a company that's just, just trying to like, uh, you know, reignite the dead, uh, you know, bring back the dead from uh, bring back uh, the living. What the hell am I saying? Resuscitate uh, a dead a dead industry or dying industry uh, mm-hmm. to success to justify a 3.5 billion dollar valuation yeah any founder 
today that you hear challenging LinkedIn is nothing more than a fucking mirage for funding. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. yeah I, I think like realistically to, to be actually any good at graduate recruitment, you have to get the student when they go in and first year. So when they're, they're first year in college, like interns is the only way to go to get really good grads and bring them up to the company and then potentially say companies at Mana, which is a drone delivery company here, they're sponsoring courses in college. So they're, they're basically cherry picking the grads they want. Can you say more about sponsoring classes in college? Yeah. So basically what they go, they, they'll pick a subject. So we'll say, for example, when I was in United Health Optum, um, we try, instead of going to the graveyards and big, d- digging up COBOL developers, we decided we'd, we'd start a reinstill COBOL in colleges. And we started a COBOL course in Letterkenny IT, which was a technical college in Donegal where our headquarters were. So on that works. MANA, which is a drone delivery business, and they've realized that UAVs and drones, like in Germany and every and Belgium and every other country in Europe, there's there is drone startups in the US and everything else. But there isn't a huge amount of grads because it's still in its infancy. Basically, you're better off going and, and sponsoring, say, electrical engineer, mechanical engineers, robotic engineers, react developers different things like that. So you go in and you sponsor a particular type of course. It could be a UAV engineering course or it could be AI, ML, machine learning, those type of courses, NLP engineers. And if you if you do, and you're, it's sort of like being, you're the brand. So it's uh, this machine learning course sponsored by Pepsi. Well, speaking of drones, we're, we're droning on. Let's get this show on the road, shall we? Let's take a quick break and pay some bills and uh, we'll get to some more news from Europe. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Everyone deserves their best job. That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl. Hey, Jobs. They're in the news. This comes from our friend, co-founder and CEO of Germany's Hey, Jobs, Marius Luther. Uh, If you missed that show, check the archives at chadcheese.com, by the way. Uh, The company publishes a jobs report every month, and we were curious uh, what a month into the war in Ukraine would mean for Europe's largest economy. Here's the summary from Marius in a LinkedIn post, quote, there is little change from the previous month on both sides of the market. To date, the war in Ukraine seems to have had little impact on the German labor market. Vacancies are at the highest level ever, but are hardly growing anymore. Active job seekers are at their lowest level ever for March, but aren't falling as hard anymore. Recruiting remains difficult, end quote. Sounds a little bit like business as usual, but are Germany and most of Europe whistling past the graveyard when it comes to Ukraine? Neil, I'm sure you have some thoughts as well as Levin uh, on what Ukraine could mean for the future of Europe's economy and employment outlook. Definitely. And the sentence I like most about uh, the little article was recruitment recruitment remains difficult for us we are in the recruitment business it's our core business so it sounds rash but it's it's good it's good for our business if it's difficult because i'll give you an example our core business is recruitment and we're not going to start building our own cars just because we need cars 
So car manufacturers, in my, opinion, in my opinion, they won't be doing their own recruitment in the future. Their core business isn't recruitment. We are just better at it than they are. So for our business, it's good when recruitment gets as difficult as possible. And the others will have to start asking us to find their candidates. Maybe this sounds a bit too commercial, but it's, I really feel it's true. Neil, you're kind of on the front lines of this. The Ukraine conflict, ultimately good, bad, or no change for the economies of Europe? I think where we are at the minute, it's not going to make a huge difference. I think in the next four, six, 12 months, where potentially more, potentially where more people will eventually, unfortunately, have to come out of Ukraine, mm-hmm. it will make a difference. So if, so if I give tech as an example, there's just over 600,000 techies in Ukraine. They produce 25,000 tech graduates on annually, and they've got a 25% growth within tech in that country. So they're the second biggest producer per population of tech people in the world next to the States. And so that could potentially fill certain roles, but it won't fill at all, right? And I think it's, it's not, where if you if you watch the news, it's predominantly oh there's there's a shortage of skills in regards to tech or construction, but there's a huge shortage of skills in hospitality, teaching, legal, accounting, everything. Right, so it's not going to fix everything. And I agree with I agree with Levin that um, companies will have to rely on recruitment experts. Neil talked about it in, in the last segment. I, I think the only way in Levin take some notes, buddy, because you guys should start doing <laughs> this. You should start building into programs for cyber or whatever it is so that you have those those individuals, that talent, that new talent that's coming out on the other side that you can put into your clients' companies. This isn't about having enough people into the specific jobs for the most part. This is about a skills gap and we need a skills gap solution, not a people solution, a skills gap solution. You get the people, you start to create these talent pipelines and companies like Staffing companies like like Levens could focus more on building talent pipelines as opposed to, again, we've always talked about swap and spit, trying to pull one from one company and put it in another. That's not gaining anything in the market. Build your own goddamn pipelines. I think that is the future. Absolutely. And it's not only about pipelines, it's about career paths. We want, so there is a shortage in candidates. So we want to reach out to them and we want to hire them before the competitors can, but also we want to keep them as close as possible. And we want to prolong their contracts and we want to not just to give them a job, we want to be career guys. We want to keep them with us for the whole career, if possible. So we want to offer them kind of a career path. And we want to tell them, okay, you're here today, but uh, where would you like to be let's say in five years, okay, you want to become a chief uh, information officer, nice, but you need this experience, you need these skills, and you lack them. But we're going to help you, we're going to offer them to you, we're going to put you at this client for two years, at that client for three years, and we're going to teach you or to um, upskill you to um, be proficient in whatever you need to be. And this is the way our business is going to handle the shortage. We're going to tie the people to us and we're going to try to make them stay for as long as possible. And it will be a hard war, but uh, I think we are better equipped to win it than other companies. Very much. I think, like, I know I've, I've done a bit of work with a company called ProFinder and, and they build skills and ologies, which are predominantly more for internal talent. But I think the job of the recruiter is going to switch. Or there's going to be certain recruiters that will, their role is to find skill sets within a company. So like a large organization, like one of the big four are, 
one of the big multinational blue chips companies when they pitch for a project or they're about to start a new product line or whatever, that they analyze the talent internally, but they also look at the talent that people who can be upskilled or reskilled to fill a need. I think that going into the future is is potentially internal or talent is more important than I think, say for example, automating recruitment events, in, in my opinion. I think it's yes. keep yes. what you have and upskill it. Uh-huh. I think undoubtedly, undoubtedly, this is bad for the economies of Ukraine and Russia. One is a brain a brain drain by choice. In other words, we've heard about a ton of 100,000 some Russians leaving the country no. who are mostly knowledge-based workers. The other is brain drain by, I guess, life or death. Um, I think as NATO countries open their doors to fast-track refugees, this means more people in those countries who can work, pay taxes, and buy stuff, which is the engine of any economy. I think, oddly, this conflict is a growth opportunity for Europe. Um, I also think investment um, is scared to go into places like China and other author- author- authoritarian countries, which means more money into Europe for countries and startups to grow. Unless this war gets totally out of control, uh, services like Hey Jobs, I think, will continue to see success because the economies of Europe uh, will strangely benefit from laser-focused conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It may be cynical, but it's true. I I think economies will also scale because there's quite a lot of startups in Ukraine. Um, And I've been involved in certain conversations about taking the startups out of Ukraine Mm -hmm. and moving them to Ireland or to the UK or Belgium or wherever. Sure. So there's potential there for other new businesses and economies of scale and new, new industries to be created, as well as in five, 10 years, potentially the rebuild of Ukraine. There's huge opportunities for people to go in on that side and invest and, and try re rebuild the country. On that note, let's talk about Oreo cookies, shall we? Oh. Uh, this is this is from Reuters. Oreo maker Mondelez, Nestle, and PepsiCo are facing pushback from workers in Ukraine and Eastern Europe who angered by who are angered by the company's decision to maintain some business in Russia. This is according to internal corporate communications. An internal memo seen by Reuters shows Nestle has seen an unspecified number of Ukraine uh, employees quit and others bullied on social media for remaining with a company doing business with Russia. There are specific examples for each company, but Nestle, who has employees in both Russia and Ukraine, stand out. Reuters reported Ukrainian employees refusing to speak with Russian colleagues and an unnamed employee said, quote, on my team, we've stopped working with Russia and never want to work with them again, end quote. We frequently talk about the great resignation, but the war is putting a whole spin on reasons to leave an employer. Levin, I think you might have some thoughts on Nestle. Yeah, not only on Nestle, on the other companies as well, but indeed Nestle specific. They have a very bad reputation on everything that should be human. I mean, uh, just Google them, Google Nestle. They have a subreddit about uh, Nestle being evil. They have a whole history of stupid things they've said and done. And I myself have said some stupid things, but um, they are better at it. And I'll give you an example. But I was 17 years or something, and I had a chemistry teacher. Mm -hmm. And I only remember two things from his class. I wasn't the brightest crayon in the pack when it's concerning chemistry. He told me many things, but I remember two. One, alcohol only solves uh, solves everything but uh, problems. And I always remember that one. And the other one was, Nestle is a disgusting company. And I listened and he explained, he said, they are selling, uh, you know, powdered milk 
to people in Africa, which can't afford it and they don't need it, mm -hmm. but they give it for free for a few months to those women. And then they stop making milk from their own and they think they're giving their babies the best possible milk. Yeah because it's powdered milk. And then suddenly they don't make any more milk themselves because they stopped uh, lactating, how do you call it? And then they start asking money for it. And that's when I heard it, I couldn't even believe it. I, I looked it up and apparently it's true. And that's the most evil thing I've ever heard. And I think as a company, if you've done something like that, you will never ever be able to get a good reputation again. You can write as many reports on uh, sustainability as you like, people won't forgive it. And the same thing is happening all over again in, uh, in Russia. They are um, active in Russia and they stay active in Russia. And their CEO has said something about um, the Russian people um, should be able to buy their great products just as all the other pe people well, the, because it's not their fault. I think the compromise that they're all going toward is, okay, we need to be able to provide diapers and water and formula and sort of these necessities. The, the problem is they're still selling Kit Kats and Oreos and things that aren't necessities. And I think, I think more and more companies exact. are trying to rely on, well, they need necessities. We'll cut back on the other stuff. Hopefully this thing will hold up all blow over and we can go back to the way things were and, and apologize. I think I think from a macro perspective, and I'm sort of taking a left turn here, but my whole life I've heard about globalism. Globalism is great and having countries that buy from you and sell you stuff is all very good. And I think it, it generally is a good thing. But I feel like there's a trend here of, of sort of the connective tissue of globalism tearing apart. And you're seeing, I think, the world split into two different categories. You've got, I guess, the democracies and you have the authoritarian governments. And it's going to be a real question of companies going forward of, do we do business with this country, but then also do we build plants and factories and warehouses in these countries? And I think more and more countries like Germany, for sure, are saying, should we buy our, our oil from a country that could wage war on us. And more and more, I think countries are going to go away from that and globalism um, is going uh, to suffer from it. I think China is the big wild card here. You know, while uh, China is hoarding food that they could potentially give to uh, African countries, for example, that will need it because wheat's not being uh, harvested in Ukraine and, and Russia like it should be. And they're going to build relationships with those countries uh, with their money and their food to build alliances uh, in the future. So I think the world is a really interesting, dangerous uh, place right now. And this is just sort of a, a microcosm of that. It all goes back to history. I mean, for God's sakes, this is history repeating itself. Hitler started by claiming Sudetenland from adjacent countries that he declared as lands of quote unquote, German people, much like Russia did with Crimea and now with Ukraine. Now from Reuters, Mondelez European president uh, Gruber responded to uh, some, some, some posts from uh, his employees by saying, quote, our culture at Mondelez includes everyone who shares our values and calls for peace. We stand by our colleagues and not by the government slash country decisions, Gruber wrote. So with something this horrific, you got to pick a side. Companies in this age have to understand that there are consequences for action and inaction. Action is picking a side. Inaction is picking a side. The problem is will the consequences be long term and the car the cold hard truth that we keep talking about russians deserve you know to have milk and so on and so forth each russian ruble paid to the state budget in the form of taxes and salaries helps the aggressor supply its army and kill even more ukrainian people it's pretty fucking simple right 
you want to break it down. This is not, this is not a, a gray area. This is black and white. Make a goddamn decision. Pick a side. Yeah. A billion dollars is still flowing in from Europe to Russia to fund this war. Yes. To look at on, on Levin's point on Nestle, like it's come out about Cadbury's in the past couple of weeks. They're still using child labor in Ghana um, to manufacture, to basically harvest their cocoa pods with machetes, right? So, like, to be honest, when I hear stuff like that about companies, it doesn't really surprise me. And whatever woke or sustainable the reason that they give for staying within Russia is fair enough. I agree to certain stages that you can't punish the civilians for the for the acts of their leaders, but um, at the same t- at the same time, you have to show support, and particularly for for Ukrainian people. And with us, within TechLink Ukraine, we made the decision that we can't work and will not let any employer that has is still actively working in Russia advertise roles on our site. And um, so I, I would stand on the point that either shit or get off the pot. So it's it's basically, are you pro Putin? Or are you pro democracy? Speaking of getting off the pot, let's uh, let's end the show on a light note and talk about masturbation, shall we? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> adult adult website and social network StripChat, based in Cyprus, apparently wants their employees to really enjoy their workday. They are now providing masturbation pods where employees can take thirty minutes to truly, you know, punch the clown. <laughs> Hoping to take advantage of that happy chemical rush to their brains after orgasm, Strip Chat thinks this could help their employees be more productive while at the office. Dubbed, quote, wank pods, end quote, they come with an Oculus Quest and a 4K LED screen for watching X-rated films as well as lotion, lube, and tissues. Any happy socks. Apparently, this isn't the only company with a masturbation station, and Strip Chat is even leasing out the pods to other companies. <laughs> this is why calling podcast pods is a dangerous idea. Okay, who wants to chime in on wank pods at work? 30 minutes? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and we out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! All right, we're way over time on this one. Let's uh, let's give a, a round of applause to Neil Dunworthy, our guest host. Neil, uh, again, people don't want to connect with you. Where should they go? And also give that uh, that Ukrainian URL out again to the to the listeners. So if if anybody uh, wants to connect with me, they can connect with me on LinkedIn or Sprite.com. But if you're interested in uh, helping um, the people of Ukraine, either displaced in Ukraine or companies in Ukraine, you can sign up to www.technicukraine.org. Fantastic. It's a great po- great cause. And anybody who wants to catch up on uh, episodes on Europe that they missed, they just have to go to chatcheese.com. Guys, it's been fun. We out. We, we out. out. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to, what's it called? A podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. 
Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.